in darkness. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. You, you little... Come here, you... you fucking motherfucker. Fuck! Fuck! Fuck it! Fuck it, man! Agnes wakes, turns on a bedside lamp. Peter is scratching his wrist. What's the matter, is it? Fucking shit. Is it your tooth? Fucking bug. A fucking bug bite. Fuck this. A bug? Peter snaps on his bedside table light. Where are you, you little motherfucker? What kind of bug? Look at these bites. Jesus, those look like spider bites. No, I felt it a second ago. It's a bed bug or some shit. Well, maybe you killed it. No, I, I had it between my fingers, but it squiggled away. Pull back the covers. On his knees, still in bed, Peter pulls back the covers. I don't see it. Little fucker. I was just about to fall asleep. Agnes gets out of bed, turns on the bathroom light. I don't see it. There! Where? There! Right there, Agnes! It's right there! Hey, don't get all... Do you see it? I'm not sure. Right there. It's really small. I... I guess. What is that? It's a fucking bug. No, I know. What kind of bug? Like an aphid. A what? An aphid. It's like a... Uh... A bed bug. Oh, well, yeah, kind of. More like a louse. A louse? Like lice? Not like head lice. They're more like plant lice. Like a termite? No, what? that's more like a thrip. What's a thrip? It's like a termite. Do you mean ticks? No, a tick's like a flea. A thrip's like a termite. What's a bed bug like? Bed bug. But what is a bed bug? Bed bug! I thought it was just a nickname. This is an aphid. Plant lice. I think so. And they bite? That one sure did. Eh, maybe it's not an orchid or whatever. Fid. Aphid schmaphid, fucking kill it and let's get some sleep. Peter pinches the bug between his fingers. Little... That showed him. Agnes flops back down on the bed. The theater, the theater. Theater. To be or not to be. Theater. Theater. The plane's the thing. Hey, welcome. <laughs> welcome to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater people made by three theater makers from the L.A. theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Bertram. I'm C.J. Merriman. And I am Scott Leggett. That's right. And we are each members of the Sacred Fools Theater Company in Hollywood. And each week we're going to get together and we're going to talk about plays and playwrights and theater. And we're going to have strong opinions on them. And we're going to discuss them and debate them and dissect them and, and, and stuff. And, 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 and uh... And learn to, learn to love again after we've hated each other for our opinions. Oh, well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Maybe I, you guys don't speak for me. I'm just nothing but love. I'm a pacifist. <sighs> <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Here we go. <laughs> when this pod, when that recording button gets turned off, you know what you do. As you can tell, we're already having a little bit of, uh, you know, some sound issues here and there. We are doing this via Zoom because we are in the time of quarantine. And it's, uh, it's... Quarantine life, baby. Hashtag true. Uh, yes, we are using a... Um, 
I don't know if we can say it on the podcast, but a popular platform for <laughs> communication. It's, it's Zoom. We're not sponsored, but it's Zoom. Everybody's <laughs> <laughs> uh, promo code theater theater. Right, <laughs> that'd be dope. Um, yeah, well, while, while we're talking about the name of this podcast, like while we're here, let's let's talk about it. So here's the thing: we did spell it theater, t h e a t r e, followed by theater, t h e a t e r. And I just I wondered if anybody has an opinion on that, and like why we did that. Do I have an opinion? Because you told us that that's what it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, we were kind of just told. All right, you're ruining the goddamn mystique. <laughs> I need, I need some, I need some, uh, some opinions here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you mine. Here's the thing. Uh, I have this, uh, really, uh, you know, deep, dark sort of, um, debate, uh, that I have in my own brain about, you know, humanity and whatnot. And sometimes people like to spell theater, um, T-H-E-A-T-E-R when they mean T-H-E-A-T-R-E and it, it upsets me. It it's like it's like literative literally and figuratively that's right it's the same you're yeah. very passionate about it and i've always appreciated it so to clarify re is the art art form and er is the building that's yes right. that's okay. right it's the only hill i'll die on and uh that's it i mean it's a worthwhile hill to die it's on i guess I yes I'm I'm with you but um, yeah I don't care about anything else that's it that that's my fight <laughs> that's my justice warrior hey folks uh, thanks for joining in and so that's it yeah thank you Bailey will go on some other kind of uh, uh, illogical hate storm rant about oh something. my god yep next week that's right uh no this week actually uh we are focusing on uh every week we're going to choose a playwright and this week we decided to focus on somebody who we all had sort of a personal history with in different ways and which we'll describe in a second but who wants to say the name of the uh incredible playwright whose scene you heard before our theme song um cj <laughs> it's it's tracy letts and i love her wait oh uh, ew. uh and and we have now gotten our first season <laughs> from uh first season assist yeah audio boom just canceled us from, from mr letts's attorneys oh what what wait wait he is he is a he oh uh, don't know if that's how he identifies uh officially in terms of, of, of pronouns and all that but uh, i think it is i think he's a cis man and in 2020 we need to not uh misgender people cj so um here's the thing. i'm sorry i'm sorry it's fine um but here's the thing i uh this is a playwright that i have uh, a lot of love for a lot of respect for as not only a writer um but also an actor and we have a lot of uh, kinships in different ways that I'll get into. But I'm, I'm so si excited to be beginning with him. He's, uh, he's definitely a modern American legend. I yeah. could go along with that. I just really, it's just really gritty stuff. And then all of a sudden it's not gritty, but it's still gritty. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed this. I'd never actually sat down and read his stuff. I'd only just seen a couple things and I, yeah, I, this was a lot of fun for me. Yeah. My first experiences with him were not 
um, great. I saw productions that I I just didn't care for them, and but felt like there there was a play there that I was seeing bad bad acting and bad directing that. Um, so going back and revisiting some stuff and reading plays that I hadn't seen and hadn't read before um, certainly gave me an appreciation. Um, I've got a, a lot to say about his his stuff and where he's at, where he was at, where he's come and, um, you know, but I, 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 what was amazing was feeling the full range of stuff. Oh yeah. Plays. I was angry. I was angry at the play itself and, and yeah. what was happening within the play. I was angry at him as a playwright. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was just across the board, a lot of stuff to say and a lot of stuff to talk about. And we'll go into it in a second, but especially just thinking in terms of production, you, you know what I mean? Like there are few playwrights that you can sit and enjoy reading the play that mm -hmm. there's, you know, that, that there's something else needed to make this come alive in his, it went back and forth. I vacillated a lot, man. I, I, I I was I was raging at one point. Um, just, <laughs> just like nope, nope. Um, but anyway, we do, we we're, we're quickly digressing, which is great. It's, it's yeah, CJ, what is your what's sort of your personal history with him before this podcast? Well, like the first time I'd ever seen I'd ever seen one of his shows uh, was when I was a senior in college. I went to the conservatory at Webster University. Go Gorlocks. Um, <laughs> They, uh, we, we shared a couple spaces with the St. Louis rep and it was actually, it was a super cool, um, situation when you were going to school there, but my senior year, they did an off ramp series and it was like their third series and it was supposed to be hyper edgy and they did take me out and they did the goat by Albie and then, um, they did bug and I didn't know anything about Tracy Letts and I didn't know anything about the show. But what a great since... lineup. Can we talk about that? That's a great. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, the thing that was super cool about it too, was the theater was a converted church. Mm. So they were doing, I, I mean, it was, it was really cool. And I actually looked it up the other day, curious if they were still doing that season there and they're not, they, they did their final season, uh, 2008, right, right before the recession happened. Oh, wow. So that's all I can imagine that happened, yeah. but they did three huh. seasons and like it was just my senior year that i saw it, but it was it was amazing i'd never seen stuff like that on stage before or just had started seeing it so oh, bug bug on stage oh we'll get there anyway sorry yeah yeah um, yeah yeah my personal history yes, go, go ahead. ahead oh okay my personal history was sort of um is sort of varied it's mostly based in theater school just like reading his stuff that's actually where i found him first was um in kansas city i was working in a little script library at my school and uh, ended up picking up, I think it was First Bug, and just being really into it, and then moving on from there to August Osage um, and Killer Joe, and uh, only recently in the last few years started reading his other stuff, uh, but those were really big, impactful scripts for me as a, as a theater student and a theater nerd and just like a, a script hound, you know, it was just, just wanting to read all the time and devour things, and his are easy to read and devour, and they're easy to find things personal in and to take offense with and to feel kind of dirty sometimes. And, and that's what you want when you're reading a play, you know, it's, it's, it's why we like Shepard. It's why we like Kane. It's why we like it all, you know, it's uh, so let's has a pretty 
deep part of my soul for sure um and that's not always in good ways you know i I definitely Mm -hmm. have some opinions on him as well that i'm excited to get into yeah yeah um we should say that the scene that you heard at the top of the show was from um bug um and um yeah it's a hell of a show and well, should we, where, where are we at? What should we do next? Well, let's, where, do, where should... let's, let's get into, you know, the playwright's history. I want to hear about Let's himself. Let's, let's yeah. hear about little Tracy and like how he became who he is. I know that's <laughs> a cool Trace. journey. And um, I know there's a few things that I relate with as well. So I'm excited to hear about it. What happened to you, little Trace? What happened, little Trace? <laughs> how did yeah. Killer Joe come out of that brain? Yeah, right. Um, all right. So uh, here's the uh, basic bio <laughs> Um, uh, Mr. Tracy Letts was born on July 4th, uh, 1965. Uh, also born on July 4th, Neil, Neil Simon. Simon. Also uh, Tom Cruise. Oh. Not really, no but he was in wonder. that movie. Oh, oh, right. <laughs> All playwrights are born on the 4th of July. Little known fact. <laughs> fact. It'll never happen again. Um, he was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but was raised in uh, Durant, Oklahoma. Uh, his mother was an author. Billy Letts was her name. She was a, a, a published author. Huh. Uh, what a great name. Billy, Billy Letts, yeah. And um, uh, his dad was uh, a professor and an actor, Dennis Letts. Hmm. Um, So writer, professor, uh, oh, we'll see that again. These are recurring um, themes and it it must have struck him pretty hard because he he deals with um, professor and successful parents later in Mm -hmm in his writing um and much like simon writers he writes a lot about writers that's right uh about writers uh uh fyi side notes if we don't get to his uh this later dennis Letts, uh his dad uh played the part of beverly oh we'll get to that oh yeah um let's see uh so after he graduated high school interesting he didn't go to college he kind of took classes and stuff and kind of Hmm. bounced around, but uh, he didn't come out of uh, an academic school, which is interesting side note digression um, because I I recently had a a conversation with a friend of mine uh, about how theater nowadays is definitely driven by academia in so many ways. Um, And um, the fact that, I mean, you know, he's, well, he started writing in the early nineties, but Anyway, digression. Um, hmm. But he moved to Dallas after graduating high school. But actually, Scott, not to interrupt you, I apologize, but that actually brings up a good point about this podcast is that we, we, we are being academic about it and we are talking about playwrights. And we, but, but again, I, I, we want it to feel more about just, you know, raw, off the cuff. This is more opinionated, more about the people. You know, let's, let's get in there. Let's, let's talk about the things we really want to talk about and get outside of the sort of like, this is what I learned in, in my second year of acting class, you know, or mm-hmm. play script analysis. No, I agree. I'm just saying that theater as a whole, as, 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 as an American institution, especially, isn't driven by the art itself. It's driven more right now, I believe. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Like, and that's all I'm saying. No, I agree completely. I was just saying for our listener that that is what we are battling right now. Right, exactly. 
Exactly. Um, so he went to Dallas. Um, he got involved and did um, um, uh, some playwright, uh, new playwright festivals like at uh, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Uh, by the time he turns 20, he moves to Chicago and he starts hanging out with a, uh, a little theater company. I don't know. You may have heard of called Steppenwolf. Hill? Born <laughs> to be wild. <laughs> Band. Yeah, that's Steppenwolf. <laughs> he was also doing uh, uh, stuff at like Famous Door and, and, and other places, but he was mostly acting there. Um, but he basically uh, began uh, what is still a, a lifelong uh, relationship and membership in Steppenwolf. Um, cool. Then, um, let's see, uh, in 1991, he begins writing. Uh, a play called Killer Joe. And huh. uh, years later, uh, it's produced 1993. It premiered at the Next Lab Theater uh, in Evanston, Illinois, which I think is affiliated with Northwestern University, but not. Yeah. Let's let's talk Killer Joe for a second. I have a small Killer Joe story, and then I want to hear what you, y'all's opinions on it is. Killer Joe stories. Okay. Yeah. So Killer Joe, I think, has a little bit of a infamous... Um, kind of uh vibe to it in the theater world there it definitely people have their opinions on it for sure people have their stories about it times they saw it where things went wrong times they saw it where they were uh you know the it was kind of put up for the wrong reasons and therefore mm. uh the themes don't really come out the right way things like that um but that I, was the show that was in chicago too right where the company that had all that sketchy not great activity going on they were doing killer joe when everything kind of came out right yes it was, it was the artistic director and the director of uh, i can't remember the, do you remember the name of that company bailey shit i don't i'm sorry i interrupted you bailey no, it was it, uh, it was a specific guy more than a theater company. right right but anyway bailey anyway no, no no i'm with you completely but it's it's sort of like like it that's exactly right CJ. like it's one of those shows like it just has mm -hmm. things surrounding it always and um when i was in college uh like really deep in my it was well so it was my i guess my third year of like intense theater school and i was in kansas city and we um basically like as a group were just this really passionate crew like everybody just wanted to make things all the time and we had a student experimental theater group and we had all these things so we were always making stuff but at one point i think a little section of us a little group of us were like let's just put up something let's just like go in the woods and put up something we're all passionate about we all really loved let's um and uh one of our friends picked up uh, uh killer joe and it was like let's put this up and we started to but i'm not gonna get super detailed into everything that happened but literally like from the first rehearsal to the day that it all fell apart which by the way this never ended up going up um there was so <laughs> yeah. much drama surrounding it and so many like horrible things that were happening in the friend group that it just like because of the play though it was like these things were coming up because the play was bringing these things up in us and we were yeah. taking it so seriously that we like took it way too far and like none of us talk anymore like it was like oh no the craziest thing and i mean a few of us do like i keep in touch actually uh, one of the guys the one who played ansel um his name's john he's got uh 
uh, Johnny, one of my good buddies, he's got a podcast called I Unironically Love, which is uh, super fun. Check it out. Uh, but it's it's just this group that we sort of we had to fall apart because this show just was so much for us. And we were a little young to be tackling those things. I mean, we weren't we to, to read it and to study it. We weren't too young, but we were too young to be putting that up on our own with no experience just being being like, in charge yeah and like also being like theater nerds who take things way too seriously and way too far and like i was yep. playing chris and i just took it way too far yeah over dramatic theater students no <laughs> self-important theater students no no yeah. i wasn't but, but so that's my like killer joe story but i do i i do love it I, there i on reread i there there's just that part of me that's just like oh my god let's like i get you like that like that like 20 year old in me that like read it for the first time and was like yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it, yeah it so the first time I saw Killer Joe, I'm pretty sure what I saw was not a licensed thing. Um, and Ours was, would not have been, yeah. And it was done uh, in a small space here in Los Angeles. And actually, it was in the Valley. but uh, And I was just... It was a shit show. And walking like I had to walk away and calibrate like oh, I got to get my hands on that script and read that script because I'm almost positive that these folks didn't get it right there's uh -huh. and the thing that struck me and then just a couple years later when I saw bug for the first time there there's there's a dichotomy that goes on with him um where uh all of his parts are so well written for every actor, even if you're the deputy walking in at the end, you know, at the end or whatever. Mm -hmm. All those parts are great. All those lines are great. You cannot misstep on any of your casting. You cannot have any weak link no. in order, I believe, especially in these earlier plays. Uh, well, I think that's less in general, man. His ensemble stuff is you just can't like every single person plays such a pivotal role, you know? And, and, and like when we get into August, like just the, the rhythm of, and this, the almost, you know, the jazz drummer <laughs> timing that every member of the cast has to have, or it Absolutely. don't work. And I think that that was, that's what struck me early on in terms of my intro to him was oh man i i won't ever see a good production there are some of the plays that i've read that i don't want to see a good production that i don't ever want to see it you know sure. what i mean yep sure. just because like ah uh and killer joe i think you know the misstep is just to play it as you know it's not jerry springer you know it's not you no, know honesty honesty god um and to understand the you know I mean, these themes of sort of the, the, the death of the American dream, but not just the death of it, but like the, the murder and rape of the American dream. Good yeah. Lord. I mean, he keeps coming back to that. This, you know, I mean, he gets a little bit more hopeful, I think, later on. Um, and, I, you know, it's, it's not totally depressing. It wasn't, didn't bum me out, but like, it's so visceral and it's yeah. needed visceral needs to go a million miles an hour yeah well and it's you know i mean especially now rereading it like just being like oh my god like this is trump's america 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the fact that he had, I mean, you know, I mean, we've always known that there's this dark side of the sort of, you know, um, I, I, I'm not not to say that, that that poor Republican conservatives are horrible people, right? I, what I'm trying to say is that, like, there's there's definitely this dark side of America that lives in that kind of state where there's no shame and there's no anything. I don't know. It's gross, right? And I feel like CJ and I both have seen that in different ways, just being from the Midwest and being from, you know, different places. And I have a lot of family from the South and like, we've seen those sides of the world oh. and it exists, oh, yeah. you know, like what he's writing about exists. He knows he's, he's from the Midwest too, you know, and it's, um, it's intense. It's, it's everywhere. You know, I, I was an Air Force brat, so I grew up all over the place, but I was born in West Virginia. And I've seen and heard things come out of people's mouths, you know. And then, oh, yeah. And then, you know, basically lived in the, the Florida panhandle for a number of years, I, you know. And I've seen it, you know. And I've seen people post on Facebook this year things that could have come out of this play. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, but there's not... Um, there's not a, a loathe, like there, there are playwrights that loathe their characters. I think Oliver Stone loathes yeah. his yeah. character, for example. Um, and he loathes his audience and thinks that we're all idiots. And that <laughs> does. I mean, if you go back and you watch his stuff, some, sometimes it's so didactic. It's like a, it's like a jackhammer over the head. It's like, I get it, bruh. I get it. Um, yeah. But let's doesn't do that. He 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 gets under your skin in in a different way, for me, in a smarter way, and in a way that I think it's always interesting when an actor becomes a writer, um, and he seems to have he seems to have distinctly been an actor and then evolved the writing evolved as a as a, as a next thing. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was writing all along, but I didn't find that in my research, and I didn't want to go down a lot of biographies on him but there's something i think about the uh observer of being an actor like you know and in killer joe like all those parts like you want to play every part in that play oh yeah absolutely that's what i was just about to say is like i feel like you can ask any like hardcore actor like uh you know like what, what about killer joe they'd be like oh i want to play that part so badly <laughs> like yeah 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 um although I was, I, i'm struck also and i just want your guys's feedback on some of the casting of that show, as you look at productions and like the movie and like Orlando Bloom. Well, let's talk about the movie. Okay, well, okay. So the Orlando Bloom production, I read a few, I went down this crazy rabbit hole on Killer Joe. Um, there's there there's this uh, West End, was it West End? Orlando Bloom production? Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, definitely I, in London. And it was this sort of like, you know, uh, it was supposed to be this huge deal. They put a lot of money into it. And I think the director uh, was someone of note. And they, basically all the reviews kind of break it down to like, you can feel how nervous Orlando Bloom is that he's playing this role. And uh -huh. no one ever really settles into, no one ever really settles into sort of the like, naturalism of what it's trying to do because also they're they're having to tackle the dialect and they're having to tackle who did orlando bloom play in this killer joe i'm just i'm just envisioning legolas being killer joe well that's the thing is like it doesn't really 
work. Like I could actually see him being Chris. And I actually thought in the movie, Emil Hirsch was a solid uh, casting for Chris. It's a good, uh-huh. like, and, and Orlando Bloom kind of has that same vibe. I feel like that's a good, solid casting for him. It's a dark role, but it works. Killer Joe to me, like, <sighs> that's not, a, that's not an elf. No. Well, here's um, the thing that, there should be no pretty people in his movie. That's a thing. Like Emil Hirsch no. is fine, but he's pretty, and Orlando Bloom is That's pretty. True. And like, yeah, and like Hayden Christian Church. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, it's like these people need to be a little fucked up looking. Like that, and mm-hmm. I think that's why when you look at the original cast and the Steppenwolf productions, and you know that well, they, uh, Steppenwolf didn't do killer joe early on but there's there's these real midwestern like ugly fat people in it. <laughs> what are you trying to say scott it's i i i'm i i don't know i'm like, <laughs> <laughs> can I, okay can i tell you the two big things that struck me about killer joe yes um it was written in 1993 i did just a little i was just curious about let's because i only know him as a playwright really um, and I looked it up, and 1993 was the year that he got sober. Um, and Ooh. that kind of struck me. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was when I looked up Killer Joe on Wikipedia, it was called a dark comedy. And I don't, I don't knock anyone that laughs at this. I mean, I think you probably laugh at it because you feel so uncomfortable. But, like, it just, it just had me at the edge of my seat the whole time. Right. The I last mean, you... 20 pages of the script, I was yelling out loud. For sure. I mean, if you – and I want to hear more about why. But, the, but if you um, direct it correctly and act it correctly, it is a funny show. Like, it should have you kind of – especially early on – even though it's dark, like there are parts where you should be sort of like, this is silly, right? But then there's enough of it that isn't that way. That is more kind of that like uh, dark, dark comedy, I think is right for it. But it's also what it, there's something I was going to compare it to. And now I can't even think of it. I'm losing my train of thought. Well, and I'll, I'll jump on real quick while you're recovering. Um, yeah. I, no, I forgot. No, um, but... <laughs> It, it's it's his one-two punch that's so brilliant, you know. Well, he's he's got a lot of weapons in there, but it's like an uppercut and 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 a jab, comedy, 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 boom, uppercut, like the profundity of, oh my god, what am I seeing? What is? It's like this? Rick and Morty. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but you know, a lot of that's got like I wouldn't call. I mean. Rick and Morty's mostly funny, but man, when it hits you, when he, they go for pathos there, it hits you over the head. Oh my God. And same here. Like, and there's a lot of that too, where it's like, I feel exhausted at moments reading. And then this moment of beauty comes through or this moment of, of profundity. That's my word of the day. <laughs> I love that. Profundity. My profundity. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, I thought of it. It's uh, it's uh, fucking. Sorry, Scott. It's Voltaire. It's um, it's Candide. It's right. It's like Candide yes. is one of the the great comedies, right? But if you tell someone that's a comedy and hand it to them, they will hand it back to you and say, "You think rape and disembowelment is funny?" And you'll say, "No, no. Did you get the whole thing?" And they're like, "No, this isn't funny. You're a horrible person." <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, okay." I, I actually did put down that the first time that I laughed was, and this is spoiler alert, if y'all haven't seen or read it yet, 
Um, it wasn't until the end of act two, scene two, where basically the stage directions pan you over and you notice there's a dead body on stage. Yeah. That made me laugh, but that was a sight gag that if I was sitting in the audience, perhaps I would have noticed it. You know right. what I mean? Right. But I'm not, I'm not saying it's not funny. I think that just tells you what kind of a person I am and what makes me laugh. <laughs> but I, I get it. I totally get it why people would laugh at it. And, and I agree with the whole thing of like, if it's done well and you've got the right people in it, it would be funny. Oh right. yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, dark, dark tragic comedy is, is how a lot of his shows are described. And especially the, some of these early ones. And yeah, man, oh man. Um, oh, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, it was years ago at Old Fools when we used to be on Heliotrope. And I, it was it was that backstage opera one. Was it Don, Don Juan Tonight? What was it, Scott? Don Giovanni Tonight, Don Carlo Tomorrow. Yes, okay, so I went and saw that. And the whole, the whole like, it's kind of a funny thing. You're watching the chorus waiting to go on for their last big song in the end of act one or act two of the opera, right? So you're seeing all these different relationships going on on stage. And then the last part of the show, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, is everyone in the, everyone in the dressing room gets locked in there basically, and they all get gassed and die. So you watch everyone in the cast die on stage in the last moment of the show. And I remember the night that I went, I looked around and everyone around me was laughing and I was just horrified the whole time. <laughs> so I just, you know, it's just different senses of humor and whatever. Well, but also I think that's one of the, ooh, we have an alarm. Um, and we'll we'll move on from Killer Joe in a second, but I, I, yeah. I want to throw in this last little uh, thing. It kind of also reminds me, and what you're talking about, CJ, is um, this play I directed in college, uh, Carol Churchill's Far Away, which is one of my favorite mm. scripts of all time. Um, and it is this play uh, that sort of, it's three scenes um, and it's about an hour long. And I don't want to give too much away. I want people to actually read it. But it's one of those plays where when I was directing it, I really pushed to my cast. This is serious. This is drama. This is intense. The things you're talking about are scary and dangerous. And it's going to, it's, it, it, it's, you're, you're traumatized and you're not okay. And you push that really hard and they, they get to a place where they get take it so seriously that they're like on stage talking about these things like crying and you have them and you're like, yes, okay, this is it. I've got them to where I want them. And then the third scene comes and they have an audience and they're talking about how the, the wasps are in the wars with the dolphins and, and the waves are in the wars with the winds and it's like, and, and these crazy horrible things, but they're talking about it with such passion and the audience is going nuts they are laughing their faces off and they're just like mm. they they're, they're with it they get it they understand that this is like this absurd thing and my cast afterwards I went up to him and I was like guys that was amazing give me hugs and one of the cast members Daniel he was just like I'm so upset like I can't believe they were laughing at us and I was like no that's Aww. it that's the point and he just <laughs> anyway that's my whole thing uh let's let's move on to our next segment we have uh, a special guest here who's going to sing us a song, Pam Eberhart, with a song about Tracy. Pam. Tracy here we go. Yay, Pam. Pammy Pam. Family secrets buried tight, let's hash it out the dinner table are you able to find 
And the, uh, that, uh, that beautiful song was written by our dear friend, Pamela Eberhardt. I just love her. She's so talented. Pam Quinn. Yeah, she is, um, she is definitely a, a dear friend to all of us and a talent for sure. Yes. And we'll uh, good times. Uh, she's the fuck Scott. She is going to be writing one of those for every uh, one of our episodes, which is pretty exciting. Can't wait. And we'll have her on as a guest at some point, I'm sure in the future. We absolutely have to have her. Yeah, I think she wants to yeah. come on and talk maybe potentially about the big S-man himself. Ooh. Not to, not to tease. That old Winky Bill Winky. Shakespeare? No, the oh. other S. Come on. <laughs> what are you talking Shepherd? about, No, the other S. Shanley? No, the other S. Uh, Sondheim. Oh. It's fine. It's There's fine. So many S's. <laughs> I love that. that, that just, <laughs> um, that's incredible. Um, anyway, so yeah, she's going to be writing one of those for every episode. But let's get back to Killer Joe, or let's get off Killer Joe. I feel like Killer we, Joe from to... Hannibal Mo. Killer Joe from Hannibal Mo. So we're going into Bug right now. Yes. Um, what year was that? What year was Bug? Bug Bug was '96, so just a couple yeah. years after after Killer Joe. Um, so I saw a production that was uh, it, it received good notices. I was like, eh, I didn't care for it so much. It was fine. It was fine. But again, it was one of those things where just want, um, what's his name? The husband um, that comes in was just missing. Goss. Yes. And um, so, you know, it's that situation where if there's one, loose piece in any of that casting and it all falls apart. But what I realized in reading the play was when I went to see this production, which again was, was fine. Um, it, it, it was long, it was a long evening. So when I went and it was like, this is only 77 pages. Yeah. And then there is a mechanical error in this and it took me out while I was reading it. And I think you're both going to laugh at this. There is no way that those characters are spending an evening doing crank, blowing lines, smoking cocaine and crack, and then going to bed. They go to <laughs> out of it. But then what I also realized that the problem with that original production was this needs to go 900 miles an hour. Right. This needs to feel yeah. like those. Because they're on uppers. And they're, they're just driving down a a road of of steady emotional and 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 you know mental decline you know yeah anyway. well and I, I would also argue i feel like there's there's definitely that sort of side to it where once you've done enough of a drug you know there's that place where it becomes a normal state and i think that's kind of almost what well, it's about is that it gets to a place where it's like no i can sleep on this drug like this is this is my normal situation right you know uh i and that actually i mean there's so many things going on with this because this was another one I looked up on Wikipedia and it was before I had finished the script and they kind of go into all of the stuff that uh, the young guy, um, Peter, yeah. that he he monologues about and you find out he was a, a, a vet, a war vet and all this stuff. Um, oh man, I just lost my train of thought there. Uh, we're, all, we're all doing that today. A bunch of pot, <laughs> bunch of pot smoking. No, doobie. no, never, never, No, never. I've never done that. I beg your pardon. <laughs> oh, oh, I remember. Um, 
I I got into the whole thing of like because I was trying to explain away why he was seeing and feeling the bugs, and then I was like, oh, is this is this just drug addiction? Because I gotta say, I don't know whole a whole lot about smoking crack. I'm proud to say. Really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You got the but, look. But that was, oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> Jesus. True. <laughs> I Not could true. have the look. I'm good Not at white true. trash, which is why I love his earlier stuff. I love, I just love well-written white trash. It's a lot of fun to read, and it's even more fun to play. But, yeah, I just, I got into the whole thing about, like, is this a side effect of when you're coming down off of crack and all that yeah. stuff? And I mean, you know, it's kind of about that. It's kind of about paranoia, about like what we are able to um, sort of convince ourselves of with or without drugs in a lot of ways and, and, and where we find comforts. And um, I love the way he writes dialogue, especially in Bug. I love the way it unfolds. I love the way you can tell somebody's character very quickly, even without knowing anything about them. And the way that information unfolds about them is so clever, especially in August, which we'll get to. But like, he's just... He's so clever about this shit. I love it. I agree. And um, all that dual dual and sometimes triple uh, dialogue that he writes, you know, which, which yeah. is oh. mania to try and read, but is also just amazing, like, and trying to calibrate, you know, how that's going to, how you would play that. Like, my, my actor mind is going 100 miles an hour. My director mind's going 100 miles an hour. Um, there were two things that, that I really felt, especially in this most recent reread of Bug, um, man, can you feel the, the Shepherd in it? I mean, you can feel the Sam Shepherd in Killer Joe, too. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. But you can also feel like he he apparently has made comments about Tennessee Williams, that Tennessee Williams is one of his... Uh, mm, I can see that. <laughs> Faulkner, you know, it's it's the it's the Southern Gothic. It was, you know, it's that Tennessee Williams ability to and all of his plays are about white trash, you know, and to, to some degree. I mean, he, they wouldn't have called it that back then. But finding that elegance and that beauty and that poetry and that rhythm of of dialogue and 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 all that. And so you can definitely feel those balances. You know, I think I think he's another play or two away from really finding his own voice that isn't you know so directly um inspired by others i mean there's worse people to emulate than sam Shepard and tennessee williams to be sure uh, yeah um i also absolutely uh i was also just going to real quick point out in bug uh that he's that you know, he's ahead of the curve i mean the discussions about you know uh you know, lesbian couple uh, trying to adopt a kid and and all yeah wow the mid nineties like ninety six yeah he was really putting putting it in I mean that that character is the most noble character in the play mm-hmm. um, by you know because well she gets well, a, with a mom like Billy Letts I would hope that he had learned his uh, his <laughs> famous lessons you know <laughs> um, I'm sorry Bailey you had you had you were saying something earlier and I interrupted. Oh, I was just gonna. I was just gonna mention the movie. I didn't know if either either of you had seen the Michael Shannon uh, Ashley Judd. No, film. no, 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 no. But Shannon Shannon was in the original production. Like he kept coming back to that yeah. role. Yeah. Imagine, is he too old for it? By the time there, see, this is another thing. That Ashley Judd, she's too pretty to play that character, and he's too handsome to play that character. All the m- movies. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, it's very Hollywoodified, but um, I would say she does all right. She acting wise, she does all right. He is he's stellar. He's he's I mean I think he's a savant. She's great. I'm not knocking her. I'm just talking about like the casting decisions. And when we get to August, like my mind melted when I started because I haven't seen the film. I don't I don't want to see the film. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Asked, I was like, "What? Like this is an abs- ridiculously miscast film. Horribly miscast. Yeah. Hmm. Tell that they did it because Hollywood. And so, but Julia Roberts, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I mean, it was an Oscar play. It was an Oscar play for Julia and for Meryl and for kind of all of them. And it was sort of this like." Let's let's try and get as many people as we can into this classic play, and you know, let's is is kind of coming up right now, and let, let's let's do it. And they went for it, and we'll we'll talk about it because I have a lot of opinions about the film. Um, but back to Bug, yeah, I I just um, it it, it was an experience. <laughs> the one thing I also wrote down as part of my notes is, man, Tracy Letts hates his stage crews. <laughs> yes he has a couple of those you know August he's like, the lights, they have the lights go those. out for yeah the, uh, the lights go out for five seconds they come back on and the entire place is covered in tinfoil <laughs> like or the entire place is clean now yeah you know all, all the papers have been rearranged i'm like what Who, <laughs> you know you guys some poor slub is just like you can see him it all. reminded me of odd couple to be quite honest from <laughs> scene one to scene two I mean, I, you know, it, it, it was just, it, it struck me. But, um, man, I would love to see a really great production of, of Bug. Uh, you know, I, there's, what, the one thing that he, he doesn't do with any of these characters is, is he doesn't, um, he's not mocking them. I never feel like he's mocking them. No. Which gets a little Jerry Springery in terms of stuff. He doesn't, you know, it, it, it's, you know, in, in, um, uh, to go back to Killer Joe real quick, you know, he, he has this knack for nailing it. There's a line, Chris has a line where he's basically like, I just want to, I, I just want to smoke weed and I just want to have enough freedom to smoke weed and watch TV. And that's it. That's that whole character. You understand him in that line. And he does Is he that- in a quarantine too? <laughs> quarantine life. I got quarantine life. Isn't it kind of funny though how like everything sort of relates to quarantine now? Like every show I watch, every episode of everything, I'm like, oh, it's like quarantine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm starting to. I I get nervous now watching people hug on TV. It's like, <laughs> six. What are you doing? Oh my God! Oh, Don't. They're standing really close together. <laughs> Hell, man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, Siege. How? What? What, what were your feeling? What was? Uh, what was your emotional reaction to Bug? Because you've never seen it, right? That is actually the one let's thing that I've seen. That was the one that they did at the off ramp in like 2005. But what was your reaction when you reread it? I, um, I, let's see, let's see. I wrote stuff down for this. Watching it, okay, watching it made me squirm and reading it 14 years later made me do the same. Like, it's going from reading Simon for 
two or three weeks. Like, I blew through these shows, the ones that I could actually get my hands on. And I mean, Killer Joe and Bug are both so short anyway, but they're really good reads. Like, I was tearing through these plays, like... We should mention, by the way, that we did uh, a, a sort of a test episode where, a pilot episode where we read a bunch of Neil Simon stuff and talked about him for a bit, just to do yeah. some testing and things. We might release that someday. We might. I think we it should never. redo we it personally. Put it fucking paywall put it behind a paywall and make everybody pay for it i don't know yeah um no we'll redo it at some point i think that sounds fun um and pam wrote a great song for it anyway yeah back to bug but that's digression that's, that's great i i was spoiled because my one experience of live let's or or just watching it in general because i haven't seen any of these movies because i suck at movies y'all i suck at movies but i was so spoiled because i saw i mean st louis rep does real i mean haven't seen any of their stuff for a long time, but they were doing amazing stuff. Like you can make a living doing theater in St. Louis and it's good stuff. Um, yeah, so I was uh, spoiled because I- is incredible. Yeah, I saw, I just saw really, really great actors in that show. And it's like, that was before I even knew who the hell Tracy Letts was. So like I got, it was great. I was on the edge of my seat. I, I didn't know what I was watching, but I couldn't stop watching. You know what I mean? And I was 20, so I mean, it completely different brain. But I just remember, I still remember images from that. I I remember, I remember the big wake up scene where you first discover that they're quote unquote infested. I remember the ending vision, like before they set fire to everything. Like it was, I was really, lo- I I was really spoiled with the St. Louis rep during my college years, basically. Yeah, I and and just like the visceral like there's oh he does a great job of setting up this moment of hope when the doctor comes in uh yes and she starts to calm him down and you're like oh oh man maybe maybe this is gonna maybe they're gonna like i just want him to be okay you know i want you know here are two characters that are doing seemingly despicable things um yeah yeah and but certainly destructive things uh, certainly destructive things and you just want them to be okay and then that murder happens and that descent into that final uh final part of the second act and you're just like yeah of that yeah 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 you get you feel like i mean i remember feeling just as paranoid and anxious that i felt they did on stage they did a great they did a great you know what i should have done is pulled out i have the program still from that i should have pulled that out and looked at it oh well you know i was looking for old playbills of things i had seen of his um specifically my august osage county one i couldn't find it i found a paper i wrote on it but i could not find the playbill that came with it. i'm upset about it but baby bailey i know uh but yeah so let's move on from bug i love bug but let's uh let's keep it going because we got a spotlight to get yeah yeah, I'm totally. Well, so next up, uh, next uh, in 2003 um, comes uh, The Man from Nebraska, which I have not read and I have not seen. So, uh, yeah, Bailey, you're on for this because I couldn't get my dirty little yeah, fingers on um, Man from Nebraska. I was the only person who could obtain a copy of it. I went through my script library. I have about, I don't know, maybe hundred something scripts that I just have obtained over the last few years. Um, most of them actually purchased at the French, uh, the Sam French store, which is now no longer existent uh, in um, uh, where was that? Like West Hollywood kind of Hollywood area. Um, but set. it was on set. Yeah, it was yeah, on set. I did a right. reading there. And um, 
it was such a great spot and i would go by and i would just like look through sometimes sometimes i would just grab a chair and read through stuff oh it's so mm. sad anyway i bought so many things there and i picked up a bunch of let stuff one time maybe like two years ago three years ago um and i picked up this one man from nebraska and i read it then but uh i started to reread it this time and i didn't actually finish it because i started kind of hitting a wall with like i don't really like this it's fine it's good it's kind of a um <laughs> it's, it's like his one it's fine it's good it's it's sort of i mean it's very let's and it's very you can tell it's very personal but it's kind of a spiritual religious kind of uh journey uh you know just a man dealing with that it's uh and he like it's interesting uh i don't necessarily recommend like go pick it up you need to read this but i would love to see a production of it i think it could inspire me in a different way reading it it's it's a little like okay it's very theatrical he's got some smart things in it um i'd love to hear somebody else's thoughts on it if they ever if you guys ever get a chance to read it or if any of these uh, the listeners ever get a chance if you have anything any opinions on it please like hit us please. up on the socials because i would love to hear what you think yeah. um but man man from nebraska is interesting um it's a weird one we can always circle back at some point in the future and 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 review yeah. you know um it was interestingly enough just to just to uh, do some nerdy fact stuff um uh, it was a finalist for the Pulitzer. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Let me read the back of it. I have the script right here. It's a, it's interesting. It's a, a four men, five women, which is a great cast size. And it says, a luxury sedan, a church pew, and visits to a nursing home form the comfortable round of Ken Carpenter's daily life. And then one night he awakens to find that he no longer believes in God. Huh. This crisis of faith propels an ordinary middle-aged man into an extraordinary journey of self-discovery. This wickedly funny and spiritually complex play examines the effects of one man's awakening on himself and his family. I mean, it's definitely hitting some like, you know, deep themes, some some heavy stuff there. Uh, it's I don't know if I could connect with it. Maybe I need to be in my 40s before I can, you know, right. or hmm. 50s. For sure. Yeah. Um, All right. Anyway. Well, that that takes us uh, up into uh, up to his next little play that um, would uh, ultimately win him the Pulitzer and the Tony and many other accolades and that is august osage county never heard of it yeah that never is our, uh, heard of it spotlight of the week actually so every week we're going to choose one play that we deep dive into now we've already kind of deep dived into deep dove deep divin we deep dived into <laughs> we deep dived into divin <laughs> divination words um, are our we, paints and we, clay bailey <laughs> That's right. I'm actually terrible with words. This is something that you will learn. It's, it's perfect for a podcast. I'm terrible with words. I uh, often have really profound thoughts that I can't uh, pull into words as I'm having trouble doing right now. Anyway, so uh, August Osage County. Oh, we know. Uh, August Osage County is um, uh, our, our, our deep dive today so we're gonna actually do a little bit more talk into that let's let's get first thoughts out real quick what just like what are your thoughts like yes or no yay or nay what are your thoughts on this play i dug it i loved it it was one of those things where i read it and i was like oh my god i want to play all of these parts i felt like it took all of the quote unquote trashiness like drug addiction and abuse and all that stuff and it put it into a prettier package and made it a kitchen sink drama in a weird sort of way word um <laughs> i had a a real visceral reaction i have not seen it and quite frankly i don't think i ever want to 
Mm. Um, mm. It's a play that I would love to play any part in. He writes all of those parts, I think, are immaculately written. I would, male, female, all of those parts, I would love to tackle. Any actor would love to tackle. As a director, I would maybe even love to try and tackle it. I, 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 other than the profundity of (laughs) vision of, of the final moment of that play, it's uh, to back up real quick. I, in doing research and buzzing around, I flipped open a review of the film. I think it was the LA times. And the quote that they wrote was, I don't know why I would want to spend any more time with these people. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. That's how I feel about Tiger King. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's how you should feel about Tiger. I mean, in okay. I think that there are, I see everything. Oh man. I saw everything in that play that I get why everybody responded to it. It does have this Eugene O'Neill, you know, sort of epic American Gothic thing going on. And I just, even the good People in it are, are 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 flawed or have done terrible things, and there's or a, having sex with a family member. Well, and that's the other thing, it, like it builds it, just the intensity of the crazy and the and the and the, and the revelations and the revelations, and then we're gonna throw incest on top of it for the two characters that have been the most abused. Um, right. Who who are just trying? They just. They f- just want two people to, you know, they just want somebody else to, to hold on to and love, you know, and th- this is what they get. Like, um, so there was a lot of that reaction to it. Like, I imagine that, um, that it, it, it was, it would be, a, especially when you look at that original Broadway and Steppenwolf cast, you know, oh my God, I would love to see it. Um, I would love to, I don't know. Like it's, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess that's a sign of something good is that I, you know, I will come back to this again. You know, if I hear that there is a production, inevitably I will. It resonates in some way with you for sure. Like it got, it got to me and I was angry about it. I was angry about those people. I just, oh, I, oh, I think Violet is just a horrible, horrible, horrible. Oh, what a great part. Well, real quick, let me let me list this original cast because this is pretty incredible. So the ori- uh, original Beverly was Dennis Letts. That's uh, obviously Tracy's father. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a second. Uh, Violet was Deanna Dunnigan. Uh, we have Amy Morton, Jeff Perry. I'm trying to find names I know. Uh, Rick Snyder, Troy West. Uh, but then you go to the Broadway cast. Oh, my. Oh my! Oh, that is the Broadway cast, right? Oh. <laughs> um, well, I thought I was reading the Steppenwolf cast. It's basically the same. Um, I think it added a different gene for the Broadway cast. Yeah, I think they just changed, did a few minor changes. Uh, but yeah, I think I mean to to kind of talk about your point, Scott. I feel like this is one of those plays, and maybe I'm getting a little too pretentious theater nerd about it. But this is one of those plays to me that is so much more than a family drama. It's so much more than a character study. And it's almost to me like the ultimate, like 
the reason why there's no real lead. The movie kind of has a lead. They they Hollywoodize it, and Julia Roberts is very much like your hero throughout the story. But like the play itself is very ensemble and very um, uh, situation driven, and not so and theme driven, and not as like character driven. Though those characters are very strong, and you understand them. Um, I think what excites me most about this play is that it kind of transcends the like like, oh, I want to care for these people. At some point, I, I don't really care about any of these people. I care about Beverly and I care about Jonna and everyone else I just don't really give a fuck about. And I, I almost think that was in a way sort of his intention. Like, okay, so we have the opening monologue, right? Let's, let's step through the play. The opening monologue, um, which is one of my favorite monologues of all time. Uh, I saw this, I saw a production at the Kansas City Rep. Um, I actually went with uh, acting class. We all went together. And I remember my teacher, uh, Beatty Pettigrew, which is the greatest name ever. What a great name. I know. She yeah. teaches at Hogwarts um, as well. But uh, <laughs> she, is, she is like literally the reason I do theater, she's the reason Peter I Pettigrew's act. She's Pettigrew's sister. Really, yeah. Beatty Pettigrew, uh, she's a Slytherin. But she's like <laughs> e easily like my reason for doing theater and a lot of other people's as well, I know. And um, she's just a great mentor. And she took us to this uh, production, um, a play I know she really liked. And I... I can't remember. She used to walk out of plays all the time. Okay. So she's like, yeah, she'd be like, if I don't like it, I'm why would I waste my time there? <laughs> and, and the argument I've heard from other people and, and because I am someone now who's, who has little theater snob tendencies, I won't walk out of a play, but I won't necessarily stay for the second act. If it's something I'm not super feeling right. Or if it's offensive or it's whatever. And, but her whole thing was like, why waste my time with something that I'm not gaining anything from or that isn't being produced to its full capability or like, you know, that could be better. Yeah. Um, so she would walk out of things and she hated the production. She was like, no, I didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't like the Violet's choices. I think in a little way, she kind of wanted to play Violet, you know, but there was just uh -huh. that. She just didn't, she didn't connect with it, but I connected so hard. And I was like, especially with the design of it, the, the way that the house was designed and stuff, which we should talk about. And it was just like, it's, you can see every room at all times. You can see what's going on in there at all times. Hmm. And when it's directed in a way that you can see everyone in a room doing their own things at different times with different lighting to, you know, to highlight where you should be looking, but to know that they're always there, then when they aren't there, especially at the end, there's just this vacant feeling that's just so powerful. Hmm. Um, I was really in love with this production at the KC Rep. I wrote a whole paper on why I think it's like one of the best plays of all time. I stand by it. I reread it. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely in love with this play. I watched the movie again this week just to sort of like remember kind of what the differences were. There's a lot of differences. I don't love a lot of the changes. I don't love a lot of the cuts. What are, what are most of those changes? Like yeah, so yeah, it's like you know the every every review you read by the way of the original production, the Broadway production, the London production all mentioned that it's three and a half hours long. It's three and a half hours long. It's three and a half hours long. Oof. Yeah. Run, which is fine. Like, um, it's like lame is or something, you know? Yeah, it is. You know, the, the way, okay. So at, to speak on sort of the film differences as well, but also just about the play, the reason I love this play and why it might be my favorite play of all time. It, it's between, it goes between this one and water by the spoonful. Um, these are just, which are thematically very similar, but this one, um, resonates with me in a, in a lot of ways for the purpose that it, okay, how do I say this? I don't want to, uh, I'm so pretentious, guys, help me. Um, yes. The way that 
information, I said this earlier, but the way that information is slowly divulged, right? The way that you think you know something at the beginning of a scene, and by the end of that scene, you're like, oh, I have a whole new understanding of this dynamic. Mm. I have a whole new understanding of who the, I, I call them little bomb drops. This, this play is full of little bomb drops. You find out information that somebody didn't know or that somebody did know or that no one knew. Just every scene that has these little ones, these tiny little like things that just get dropped. And that, that to me is like great writing. That's it also kind of- wraps everything up neatly painfully yes. so but neatly in the right end. it gives you an answer to everything you know how everyone feels about everything by the time that they leave the stage right so it's that to me is like really really exciting but what the movie lacks is one you're in very close quarters with everyone because you're in film so you're very close to them all the time there's never that expansive sense of this big house right there's mm-hmm. never this this sense of like of of how much money they have or like you know you can't really tell it's very dark and it's very whatever um uh the way that the the movie unfolds because there's so many cuts you end up sort of finding things out a little too quickly you're like oh now i know ah. that and now i know that and it doesn't really feel like anything's being unfolded to you it just feels like every 10 lines they're going to they're going to drop another bomb and it's sort of like oh okay and then you kind of get confused and it's hard to like stay with it and I know I said before it's less of a character study, but you do lose a lot of character in the film. Like hmm. the, the, there's just so many little lines and especially, ooh, especially when Beverly's talking at the beginning, his big monologue, which is one of my favorite monologues in theater ever, but just the, just the way it's written, but the way that he divulges his information about himself and about the way he feels about it and about Violet and his family is just, it's sort of a microcosm for the whole script. It just un- unfolds so perfectly and the movie just doesn't have that. Well, this is what, this is sort of my, my, uh, my big, this is what I think this play is about, all right? This is my giant uh, statement on what I think it is. This is sort of my whole thesis, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna break it down for you, okay? Um, okay. <laughs> first of all, I think this play hinges on Jana, right? She's the backbone of this play. She's the spine of this play. She's sort of the reason, in my opinion, why this play is like, is not just a, a family drama, right? Um, and in the production that I saw, uh, I might have already said this, but in the production that I saw, um, Jana is in the attic the entire time. Okay. Right. So she is like, if she's if she's not in the attic, she's serving the people. Okay. So she's either downstairs serving the white people or she's up in the attic. And it's a three hour play, three and a half hour play. She is up right. in that attic the entire time, and the attic is decrepit and it's gross and there's leaks and it's terrible. And it she is put up there, and it is this place where she is kept the entire time, right? And uh, kept listening to the things going on, the screaming, the yelling, kept. Uh, wait, uh, waiting to be called for, waiting to be called on. Uh, she's being kept in, dare I say, a reservation of sorts, mm-hmm. right? She is being kept in a place where she is less than and having to deal with the, the sort of uh, the day-to-days of, of white people. Um, obviously, that is its own metaphor in itself, but I think also just in terms of theater and the arts and the fact that there are so many native writers and directors and actors and artists who just aren't represented and just and and it just doesn't even exist it's like you know Mm -hmm. it's like a huge deal for someone to get the role of jana in this play that shouldn't be the case you know what i mean like it's you know and and like the movie uh back to sort of why it differs from the movie and why i i do like the movie for for certain reasons um because i still like his screenplay the way that he did it the way things unfold um 
in terms of the movie isn't my liking, but I still like the dialogue. I still like the way he writes, but it, it definitely dismisses a little bit of, and maybe this was an editing, maybe this was something he didn't get to push, put back in or, or push for, but you, you lack a lot of that time with Jana. You lack, lack a lot of that alone time, that seeing her up in that attic alone. Um, and, and she sort of represents all of the artists and, and, and native people in general who are just being kept in an attic of sorts, right? Um, mm. So I, I love that character. I love her role in it. And then of course, our final moments of the play, um, which, I mean, maybe we step through the plot, but the final moments of the play are just are incredible. You, you're watching this set that is the whole time so full of people. There's someone in every single room, even when another um, scene is what's being highlighted. There are other people in another room sleeping or talking or whatever, it's all going on. And then she's up mm -hmm. in this attic, right? So this final moment of her and the vacancy of this house and Violet has no one to go to but the, the quote, Indian in the attic, you know? And it's just mm -hmm. so like, uh, uh, it's so profound. It's such a perfect ending uh, to the whole thing. And, and that comes back, you know, what you were saying, Scott, about you don't feel like you want to spend time with these people anymore. And I would argue that the end of the play is kind of saying that too. It's like, you don't have to spend time with these people anymore. <laughs> like they're not here mm -hmm. anymore. They don't, they're gone. They all left. Like you're the strong one, mom, I think is like the final line Barbara says. And right. Leave. And you know where everyone stands, you know how everyone feels about everything. You don't necessarily know what their futures hold, but we never do. Right. And it's just kind of a perfect, uh, perfect ending to me. I, I, I think, I think what I agree. I agree with you about the ending. I, I feel like that image, the way he describes that image in uh, in the stage directions, the idea that um, be, because Jana Jana takes care and passes no judgment through the entire thing. That's right. Mm -hmm. in quality and and really, I guess the true. You're, I, I don't disagree with you. I would say she's not the backbone. She's the spirituality of it. Sure. Where everybody else in the play has lost it. Yeah. I mean, it kicks off with Beverly going, well, we don't know exactly if he went to commit suicide, but I think that's the way to play it because right. it's just enough. Like, it's it's just enough that the, the, the last bit of spirituality he has is is <laughs> to, 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 you know, to go away and to end it all. Right. Um no, I, I, that's a great point, Bailey, and you're, well, you're, you're passionate. And to also speak, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm passionate about it for, for a, a kind of a personal reason as well, and, and this uh, kind of goes into what we're talking about, is that Tracy Letts is, um, he's part Creek uh, Native American, actually. His father, oh. Dennis, was actually a Creek, uh, was in the tribe, uh, full card-carrying Creek Indian. Uh, so they wow. sort of, he has that connection, but obviously Tracy Letts is very white. Uh, I'm the same way. I have Cherokee in my blood, but I am, I present, I'm very white. Like you would never know it to, to know me. And so I have that sort of personal connection to it too. But what works for that for me is that he's also, he's putting, he's putting the little bit of blood, the native blood in him in an attic, right? It's not what he's presenting to the world. He doesn't go out saying, I'm a native American. He, that's not what he does, right? So he's even kind of commenting on his own white privilege in that way. The fact that he looks Irish, he, you know, he doesn't look, right. he doesn't look like he, he, he could be from a tribe at all, though his dad was even, uh, you know, part of the tribe. So, so that's a really interesting aspect, but it, it, I don't know if I said this before or not, but it kind of brings me back to the play itself and what it does further than, 
uh, just a family drama and what it does for theater in general is it, it's that reminder that every theater is built on the, the stolen land, the confiscated land of natives. Every single hmm. theater, there is no, we can never go see a play and not be watching, you know, not be on land of of native people and this the play literally is titled august osage county and osage county is built on the land of the osage tribe and the osage tribe obviously is is like pretty wiped out now because oklahoma it has reservations and it does this thing but there's a and there's a lot of blood there's a lot of people who live in oklahoma with native blood and it, you know it's in their dna but it's all but it's still just all white people who've built built their houses on the land right um and i think that's kind of what he's getting at also kind of did all out like there's uh i think barbara who has the line it might be maddie may who's got the oh yeah the uh maddie Faye. sorry that it's this is now just a whole bunch of hot nothing it's the whole discussion about oh we're in oh it's barbara i think it's barbara and bill and bill makes a comment about oh being in the midwest and she's like this isn't the midwest and this Mm -hmm. like it's a whole lot of hot nothing it's like there is nothing left um you know and this sort of uh, returning to some some degree of, of spirituality trying to find something in it, it's not the death of the American dream. It's that it, it, it that it maybe never was because of all. Yeah, that. that the American dream was built on blood. That the American right. dream is built on a foundation of. of built broken. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, it, he's saying a lot of things, you know, and um, a, another reason I love this play uh, is because I can remember almost every scene. I, I mean, I don't know about you guys. Maybe it's just the production I saw or maybe it's just the connection I have to it. But I remember like every single scene. I think it, it actually has two of my favorite scenes of any play ever. Uh, one being the um, dinner table scene, which is basically Oof. all of act two and is like a 45 minute like train wreck. So good. Incredible <laughs> writing. Like every line is perfect. Every delivery. Like it's just, I, I, I love that scene. But also another scene that like, I think might be one of my favorite, just three people sit there and talk scenes of all time is when Karen, mm-hmm. Ivy and Barb are sitting, uh, I think it's just in one of their rooms and they're just Why? sitting there. They're in his office, they're in Beverly's office. That's right, that's right, they're in his office and they just sit, they're drinking the whiskey and they, they just sit and they talk and I don't think a single one of them ever, like I don't think there's a single like line in there that's like, and they stand up and walk over here and this happens, it's like, no, they are, sitting there and the words mm. are coming out and it is so good i love that character development um go ahead what is this show in relation to his screenplay writing because to me that sounds like something you would film as opposed to something you would watch live you know more i'm just curious well, about that how so like what do you mean like in terms of how this how this play lines up with when he started doing screenplay st- type stuff, because I have no idea about that. Well, I don't know that he has career. a ton of screenplays, right? I think he only has the two, and then he wrote the screenplay for this and Killer Joe. Um, so, right. Like, I guess he's more of an actor playwright as opposed is. to yeah. like. Yeah, he acts in a lot of stuff. He shows up in it. He's in Greta Gerwig stuff. He was great in Little Women. Um, great in. Uh, he's fantastic in Lady Bird. 
Um, mm -hmm. He was recently uh, uh, Ford, uh, Henry Ford the second or junior or whatever his name in um, Ford Ferrari, which was fantastic. Okay. And then um, he, but his, he won the Tony for playing George and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. That's right. right. Yes. Right. Yeah. That was 2010. Um, he, it was a while ago now. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and he he's just sort of one of those. Um, he's an actor for you know he's, he's like Sam Shepard, where I like, I think more people might know Sam Shepard as the actor than they do as the playwright, unless you're a theater nerd. But right. But let's uh, in terms of the I can compare the two in terms of script. I actually sat there with the script while I was watching the movie because I wanted to see things that were cut. There's so much good dialogue that's cut. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the scene where they're just sitting there, I actually love that um, that he plays with that sometimes, where it is just people just sitting there and the dialogue itself. You know, it's very mammoth. It's like it's just the dialogue itself is what's carrying it. It you has don't need a to lot be good writing. Yeah. yeah, and he does that well. He does it really well. Um, right. One of my favorite parts, and what I think kind of actually goes back into the, interestingly enough, uh, the Native American stuff, and just what I think this whole play is about is that that table scene, the dinner scene where things start really going and people start saying stuff and, and it ends with uh, one of my favorite moments in theater ever, Barbara tackling Violet, taking the pills and saying, you don't <laughs> understand, I'm running things now, you know, whatever she says. So much just, of the good shit in theater happens around the dinner table. I was just thinking about does. that. Well, and he's almost even kind of playing on that trope, right? He's like, let's do right. a 45 minute one of these. Let's just do like a big long, <laughs> You and know, it's family table. See that uh, it's where you see that long day's journey into night. You see this sort of yes, that that you know, which you know, Eugene O'Neill I think is unique, and we'll certainly do an episode sometime on him. But um, uh, it, just, it it it's masterful. That dinner scene is yeah. masterful. And again, Pinter has a couple that are similar that are kind of cool. Yeah. But I'm it, just thinking of Titus Andronicus. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Waiting for the for the dog to be <laughs> to show up. Yeah, thank God, Jonna was doing all the cooking. <laughs> right? Jesus, oh, yeah. Oh my, right. oh my god! The heaviness of the the green bean casserole being dropped. It, 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 yeah. it, when it happened, like me reading it was like, no, oh god, like like. <laughs> It's it, now it's all downhill. It's all downhill. Oh, way, in, in the movie, uh, little Charles is played by Benedict Cumberbatch in one of the weirdest. Oh my God. It is the worst casting I've ever heard in my life ever. He does, a, he does a good job. And I will say oh. this was the first thing I ever saw him in. It was the first <laughs> thing I ever saw him in. So I was sort of like, oh yeah, okay. Like, I guess that works. And then you see him in anything else and you're like, Dr. Strange could never play that guy. <laughs> I like his Dormammu, personally. <laughs> so um, good. Um, no, wait. But, the dragon. Whatever. Smog. Smog. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. It's smog. It's uh, pronounced smog. Um, but I will tell you, uh, one of my favorite parts of this entire play is the, um, and what I think actually gets down to what this play is all about, again, is um, that meat has fear in it. Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That's... So there's this whole bit where they're like, yeah, you know, Charles, Charlie, Charles, whatever, who um, in the in the movie is played by Chris Cooper, actually perfectly cast. Um, oh, and that, he thing that, that I was like, oh yeah, that makes that works for me entirely. Yeah, he really works in that role. He plays it perfectly, and he um, 
a role I want to play someday for sure. Bill is like one of my dream roles, but but Charles is is definitely a Ugh, when I'm Bill in my 50s, 60s kind of role. I what? love Bill. That's such a great, such awesome. a well written role. Yeah, he's 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 a good guy. Uh, <laughs> he's the best. He's a good guy. He's a good he's guy. guy. I, I'd kick it with him. Uh, I'd give him my pants. Um, but but real quick to to digress on about him and that character is this awareness of of a colossal life fuck up and doing whatever you he can to try and be the good guy like to himself you know what i mean well i'm here oh yeah it's completely self-serving i think here with you i'm here with our daughter and i'm you know i'm i'm gonna go through you know i'm gonna constantly justifying to himself what he did yeah right and you know um and then when he becomes brutally frank when he drops the facade like there's a moment he's like yeah yeah i'm her name's cindy and i'm gonna go fuck her again when this is all done where he's just kind of had enough with it and goes, you know, uh, enough of her and enough of the situation where he's just going to go like, fuck it. Like I'm, I'm not going to fight it anymore. You it's know? such a good role. And the, and the differences in the way that uh, the writing of their parenting, just the way they even talk to Jean and things like that. But that the scene between uh, Bill and Barbara on the deck is, is perfectly written. Oof. It is pitch perfect. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Um, cigarette smoking in this like so much good <laughs> oh my god man I know that scene where it's just like do you have a cigarette you haven't smoked in 25 years i need a cigarette right now the yeah it just sounds really good <laughs> maddie Bay's like yeah that just sounds really nice uh yeah and then um not yeah, to keep bringing up the movie though but the meryl streep uh at the dinner table lights this cigarette in this way that makes you want one so badly <laughs> <laughs> it's like watching mad men you want to smoke all of a sudden exactly but, uh, yeah, but yeah go ahead jay I, 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 you had started to say something earlier um um it was just a silly sidebar uh violet reminds me of bojack horseman's mom why is that (laughs) it's just the whole like just mean and like and Mm -hmm. taking it out on the child and blaming the child and and then in the next sentence would be like i'm the best mother in the world like she like i mean violet doesn't say that but like actually scott and i had a long conversation about this because i was telling scott that like i was really enjoying reading these shows and i was just eating them up and again I'm coming at these from an actor's point of view. So like, I'm just reading it and I'm like, oh my God, there's so many, I want to play all of these parts. Um, and Scott was telling me like, he, it bugged to, and tell me if I'm wrong, Scott, but like, I, he was talking about how like, he doesn't, he thinks Tracy's relationship with women is complicated and, and all of the women that he writes are horrible. And I'm like, no, I like me reading it as a woman. It was like the discussion, short discussion we just had about Bill. Like, you're like, oh, he's a good guy. And I'm like, no, he sucks. I hate him. <laughs> and so, but, oh, he's but it's like, we were joking. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, but it's just like for all the horrible things that people do like Violet, she's kind of like the evil, like the evil mother in all of this. Yeah. But it's like, she has so many good moments where she just gets to say, like, she's very frank about why she doesn't it, does it. And to the point that I'm a little bit like, 
yeah, all right. All right, you get to explain yourself at least. And I just, I don't know. I mean, it's fun playing a bad person on stage too, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, um, I think Karen and Ivy are a little underwritten. I like their characters, but they are definitely not, uh, you know, super well-rounded in terms of a whole person. But I, I think, I would argue that, especially oh, in the play, these three, uh, Barbara, Violet, and Maddie Faye are like, are like some great, well written female characters. Well, see, and I love, I loved both Karen and Ivy. I mean, there's how many plays are there now where there's there's three sisters and they are all different and they all show up for one of their parents' deaths or something like the one that right. I did in college was called The Memory of Water. Right. Um, and it's three sisters, their mother had died. Um, but yeah, I just like I love I see, I loved both Karen and Ivy. And I mean there's so much about Ivy that isn't written because of the complicated situation she is in already with little Charles about who they already think they are and how their family is going to handle it when they find out that they're dating and then the discovery of who they actually are. Right. There's so much of that, that to me, it's all about the directing and the acting, you know, I think that's well, and, the yeah, stuff. And who they are separate from their family, who they are separate from their parents. Right. Right. Which actually brings up, kind of goes back to my point that I uh, wanted to make earlier about the meat. Okay. So yes, we're, at, we're, yes. we're at the dinner table. And it comes up, they say, um, you know, Jean, why don't, Charles says, why don't you eat meat? And she says, well, I don't, I don't eat any meat because when you eat meat, you are ingesting the fear that the animal felt when it, um, when it was slaughtered for you. And, uh, I, you know, Steve, Steve or whatever his name is, uh, uh, Karen's fiance is like, yeah, I used Ugh. to work in a cattle yard and you, they're screaming and you cut their, yeah, it's stupid. And then, um, they go into this whole thing and they're all kind of making fun of her, but she goes into a little bit more depth about it. And I started thinking about this isn't, this is something I probably never would have thought about before, but now maybe living in LA or like being surrounded by, you know, um, sort of the, the health craze or like trying to move away from factory farming and like regenerative farms mm -hmm. and beautiful things like that, like, which I'm very pro, you know, grass fed, all that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. I'll preach my liberal nonsense later. But basically to <laughs> me, this was like the ultimate line about what this play is about, right? It's about trauma. It's about generational trauma. It's about what's left in your flesh. It's about what's left in your brain and your meat when you are, when you grow up in a world of trauma and a world of, of not feeling safe and a world of not necessarily um, feeling loved or held, um, you know, and, and of course, uh, that's a very Midwest and Southern thing is to not, mm -hmm. you know, there's not a lot of physical contact and I'm not, you know, and especially in it, what seems like in this kind of family, uh, alcoholism and, and stuff like that, there's just not a lot of love being given to the children always. And so they gain fear and they, they create traumas and they create neuroses and they, and they become these kind of broken individuals, if you will, and they and they come in and they have these broken problems. You know, Ivy is in love with her her uh, cousin, who, by the way, spoiler alert, is her brother. Oh, which is one of my favorite bomb drops actually ever. The way that it unfolds. Oh my god! It's so perfect. I have to I have to disagree. At that point in the play, for me, I I just thought it was. I if if it it felt and still feels I thought I might change my mind on it. It still still feels like an unnecessary melodramatic bullshit kind of thing. Uh, whatever, Scott. <laughs> well, Did, but so 
but don't you feel like that's sort of the ends up being kind of the crux of of all of it is like is you know the maddie Faye relationship and why beverly wasn't necessarily happy and what you know like that all kind of culminates in that tested itself differently for me but but that's um it's a it's a minor thing i did want to i did want to real quick bring up steve and the character of steve Ugh. yes he's icky and he's a predator and he's a businessman and you never know what his business is and he never says it but these it's a it's a dude that exists everywhere and comes walking in and he walks out he fucking yeah he, especially he, in la oh my god well yeah but especially like just in terms of like and like just oh like and violet sees it and knows him exactly and his reaction to her kind of calling him out is like yeah. whatever yep you got it right i do this all the fucking time it's so good uh, now i'm gonna go now i'm gonna try and go hook up with the 14 year old oh that's actually casting in the movie it's uh dermot Oh my God! She said she was fifteen. Oh my oh God! Oh my God! That line. Yeah, he. Uh, I want to talk about that scene actually because uh, in the movie it's um, Dermot Mulroney. Right. It's a and weird, he's, weird. Casting. You know what? He's actually kind of perfect for it. He's just got that. He's got that lip, and he's got that. You know that look where you're just like, oh, he could be awful, and he plays it right. And um, this is another difference between the movie and the and the play that I don't love. Um, they kind of gloss over in the movie that moment of or that scene of, of Gene and Steve. Whereas in the play, um, that that's like a full scene where he's like hitting on her and kind of like guiding her into the like trap, right. Of a, a predatory trap in the movie. Oof. You just hear them talking outside. And then Jonna runs outside with a shovel and starts beating him. You don't see anything happen. You don't hear what they, why they did that. I know. And it actually makes you think Jonna might be like crazy in the moment. You're kind of like, wait, what is she doing? But I knowing what's happening. I'm sort of like, no, this is exactly what she should be doing, but they don't, they don't unfold it correctly. It, it felt really weird. Whereas in the play, it's such this great moment of her being oh, the God. one that comes oh. out, right? It reminds me of the scene in um, uh, Fried Green Tomatoes where uh, Sipsy comes on. She's the one who, you know, hits, uh, hits the guy over the head who's trying to take the baby. And it's just like, it, of course it's her. It has to be her. I love that. I love that she, even in the fact that she's just in this place of, uh, you know, this quote, reservation up in the attic, she still comes down and does the right thing and stops this fucking predator from doing what he's doing. I mean, it's actually, I'm trying to think of it now. That's actually like one of the moral moral moments in the show where you're like, yes, somebody is doing the right thing here. Yeah, but it's Jonna. <laughs> I, exactly. No, I just, I that just kind of struck me. Never that it's like, of course, the, of course she's the one doing the decent thing, exactly. of course. But also that is, that that was the one moment where it was like, I mean, look, he gets off. He gets off the hook. He still has his woman. I mean, supposedly, I yeah. guess they don't tie that up in the end. But it's that one, for me, it was that moment of like, yes, I thank you. I'm so, I'm glad something happened well, and the assumption, against him. The assumption, by the way, Karen reacts and the way she treats everyone after, the assumption is that she goes on believing him and goes and marries him and everything. Right. Never talks yeah. about right. Him, you know? That was one of the, oh my God moments at the end i'm like she's gonna go back with him she's she's i know this, but this is we all see and we know exactly where it's gonna end up you know and oh 
I don't know. I will say for myself, I like thinking about them leaving together and her response. I, my thought was, was like, even if she does go home with him, if I were her, that would be in the back of my mind until I dealt with it. And, and you know what, what sadly, and like, you are the kind of person that would deal with it at some point. Some sadly, and we all know people like this, they'll keep that in the back of their mind forever Oof. and never let it out. Or it'll come out in a horrible way some other time, you know? That's, and then it'll be another Tracy Let's Play. That's, I mean, that's the whole thing is that they, 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 the whole family all has stuff in the back of their heads, you know, through the whole thing. Are, do we think, going back to Charlie, big Charlie, older Charlie, yeah. uh, is, is he a good person that's stuck here? Or is, yes. like you get, he is, he, that's exactly what it is, Scott. He's so good. He's such a good soul that he can't leave. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to, because I kept waiting for the shoe to drop with him. And I'm so glad that it didn't. I mean, I, I suppose that his inaction or his unwillingness, you know, but we- That's my one Boo Charlie point is his inaction. It took him this long to stand up to Maddie Faye. Yeah, but does he know? I mean, you know, Violet seems to suggest that he might know that she's always known. But no, we... I mean more in the name of their son and how she treats little Charles. Charlie, oh, oh yeah, no, no, no. No, they all know. That's how I read it. I read it as everyone knows but the kids. Oh. That's how I read it, is that he knows completely, but he is such a good man that he's like, no, this is my son. I promise to take care of him. I promise to love this woman. I promise to be this man. And he's doing it. And it's sort of, it's so tragic. Oh my God. So I did not read it that way, but your way is completely valid. I don't know. I mean, it just didn't even cross my mind, I guess. And then throughout, like as, as things, as scenes spiral and, 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 and shit happens, he's the one that keeps calling, uh, uh, bringing back Beverly. It's like, yeah. this is, a, a, he's a really good man. And I really love this man. And we're, we're, you know, this is what this is all about. And, you know, he, yeah, I think he just wants things to be easier. I think he wants to, t to take the easy path. I mean, right. Oh, wait, I amend my earlier statement. Cause Charles, when he finally stands up to Maddie Faye, that was one moment where I was like, thank you. Yes. Finally, somebody doing a good thing. Yeah. He's great on that. That's a great moment. Uh yeah. Um, Do we have any other thoughts on August Osage? I feel like I feel like there's definitely so many things we can get into with this. I'm excited. I'm excited for the potential of being able to see it one day. Um, despite what I said earlier, like it's just <laughs> it's just so visceral. It hits so many points, not just on. I mean, as we've just talked about, as an actor, every one of those parts is even the sheriff is just like oh, man that's a it's a great scene too great yeah you know um every one of my favorite go ahead no go ahead well i was just gonna say one of my favorite lines of the entire play is uh is in the final act uh as they are um sitting there eating and she doesn't want uh violet to tell ivy the the big bomb drop about um uh, about little Charles and she's just eat the fish eat the fish eat you're gonna eat the fish eat the fi eat the fish <laughs> <laughs> yes so good anyway sorry no no I was just gonna say it, you know it's it, it it is a play that works on so many levels and it's one that I will 
you will definitely need to revisit many many times as we go forward but but absolutely on and talk about um um do do we well we can talk about the, the next the, the next play on the yeah, well, what came after this what was the next thing you wrote donuts which was a hell of a gear shift 2008 yeah yeah, yeah. i read this one i i you know it's funny this was one of those shows that i started reading it p.s i have to take a little break here and mention that i have been finding so many like like rando scripts on perlego um and also scribbed so if y'all are looking i found some non-random yeah 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 but they've really been helping me out quite a bit i found some tracy let stuff that i was like i've never even heard of this play before so yeah i they helped me out big time that's where i found i found superior donuts on um scribbed so yay so, so here's my experience in reading the play i have never seen it and just read it for the first time uh this past week mm. um, is uh, Michael McKean was in the original Steppenwolf cast and the Broadway cast as yeah. Arthur. And I'm so glad that I'd read that before I started to read the play. Cause as I read the play, I, Michael McKean is one of my favorite character actors in all of my life. And it really um, helps to picture him the whole time. <laughs> and then he, I, I, who is that? What has he been in? Oh man. Michael McKean, like you'd know him as final tap. Him. All of the Christopher Guest stuff. Uh, he's, the oh, okay. he's in the Brady Bunch movie. He's sort of the antagonist in that, which I love. Oh, I'm looking him up. If you haven't watched uh, Better Call Saul, uh, he plays he plays uh, Bob Odenkirk's brother. Uh, oh, duh. Okay, okay, okay. Great. He is he? Pl- oh, he's extraordinary, um, and he's just one of those. Also, dudes- Clue. He's uh, I always forget. He's Mr. Green and Clue. Oh, he's and totally he, Mr. Green like in life, it looks like. He was also in this is this is Scott with random memory. He was also in a very short lived sitcom in, maybe in the late eighties or early nineties called Grand. And Grand was the story about like three different sort of social like families and different social groups in this little town called Grand. And in this little town, they made pianos. So you had the owner, the own, the family that owned the company. You had the the workers that made the pianos, and then you had like, and anyway, it was Michael McKean was great in it, and he's he's just he's so smart and so good. Um, Academy Award nominee, um, along with his wife, for uh, best song for A Mighty Wind, by the way. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah, uh, another Christopher Guest one. Oh, isn't isn't he the dad in uh, Beetlejuice? No, no, no. That's Jeffrey Jones. Damn it, Jeffrey Jones, the pedophile. I totally forgot. Damn it. Okay. What? Totally Let's different. Not, not mix those up. Um, oh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> but getting back to it, so having him in my head as I read it, and what struck me the most was. I don't, it's not nearly as strong a play as, as August, n- n- nor probably like Bug, but there's a gear change. You can see him going, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction here. Yeah. And, and certainly, I mean, the ending of that play is so much more hopeful. It made me cry. Yeah. I cried at the end of this one. Well, and then probably I, I'd love to talk to a few fight choreographers because maybe one of the best stage directions for a fight I've ever read in my life. 
Like the play, <laughs> the stage directions are the this fight goes on for a long time. It works in three phases, and then he breaks down how each of it's going to work. But he gives total autonomy to the director and the fight choreographer to figure out what the hell this is going to be and then just specifies a few clear moments and i just thought that that was this one was another bitch of a scene change for backstage crew a couple of them it's like the, the whole <laughs> painted and all the glass is cleaned up <laughs> like, like how many people do you have i'm just thinking about doing Theater in Los Angeles is like you got you got two guys and one of them might not be here tonight. Like minimum wage, but at least well at least you know th those are union crews on. Yeah yeah yeah. So at least they're getting paid, but like, but yeah yeah he does that a few times. But I just I thought it it was a play of its time. You could feel it. Um, I lived in. I, I mean, two thousand eight's the recession. The recession's hitting, and that's the the big thing that you you know that resonates throughout. Um, I lived in Chicago for for a year, a little over a year. So like, just all the places that they're talking Chicago. about is, and it's like, it's it's so grounded there, and so grounded in, you know, it's a city. I mean, you see it in New York and Boston and that kind of thing, but it's a city where your heritage is a label, and you wear it like a T-shirt. Yep. Um, you know, it, he's Polish, not Russian, mm -hmm. not not Irish. Don't don't confuse. Not Eastern European. Confuse him. Don't confuse. Right. Um, but I I I I really, I really did like that play. Um, yeah, I like Superior a lot. I, it, you know, it, it has its sitcom vibe, which I like uh, being so different from everything else he's done, especially, um, I mean, it was made into a sitcom, I think, at one point. I don't mm -hmm. know that it lasted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it went for a season yeah, or something. Um, but it's got that sitcom-y vibe, and it's it's one of those plays that when, when you're dealing with race, especially like a, a, a seemingly white, you know, a white-looking, uh, presenting, whatever you want to call it, man, writing it, and you start dealing with race and things. There's always that part of me that wonders, like, oh, is this gonna be, is this gonna be a driving Miss Daisy? Is this gonna be a, you know, is this gonna be a yeah. Master Harold and the Boys? Is this gonna be a Green Book situation where I, I'm, I'm, I'm meant to sort of like see, like, oh, look, they can be friends, and like, I just don't care about that narrative anymore. It's sort of, it's just dated. And I was kind of thinking, that's what we're about to, that's what I'm about to read. And as you read it you just realize like, no, it's not that at all. And it treads really lightly on the like surrogate son bullshit that it could have really fallen into. It just, it's not that. It's not about like, look, I'm white, you're black, look how funny and different we are. Like, it's just mm -hmm. not that story, which it could have easily been. Yeah, I mean, there's a few moments in it that I was like, eh, do I buy sure. this? The, when he goes, when he he lists off all the all the black poets and he, mm -hmm. he suddenly just knows he, he just and he's like, well, I'm a reader, but we don't necessarily see that all throughout the play. Sure. But yeah. that's OK. I also like that we don't we don't find out. We don't really ever find out fully about the daughter. We don't ever fully find out, um, you know, about the wife, except that he's haunted, obviously, by his ex-wife's death. But right. Um, but he, and then just the turn, the, the idea that, that this middle-aged man was like, all right, now I need to do something. You know, it's the, that inaction thing that we were talking about with Charlie in August Osage County. Sometimes right. the not doing it, not doing anything is, 
as profound a thing as as oh yeah wrong thing and and uh, uh you're compliant you're what's the word that everyone says complacent now? i don't know complete no uh it's you're adding to the problem you're uh oh right I can't I think of it. Oh, so I just wanted to add one little thing you were saying, Scott, about um, the, they leave vague details out there. And it's like, well, what about the daughter? Um, this ties into a play that he writes a little bit later that is the play is all about that, where you kind of have to make up the story for yourself. But we'll get to that, and I'll talk about it then. I think it's a let's thing is what I'm thinking. Um but yeah, what other plays did he write? Let's uh, Superior Donuts is great. What what else did he do? Because I, I we might have to take a break in a, in a minute here. Yeah, let's talk about the other plays. What else does he got? Um, and um, so yeah, let's go into um, let's go into um, the rest of his stuff. Um, yes. I didn't. Yeah. What did he write right after Superior? What was the next? He did an adaptation of Three Sisters. Did you read that one, Siege? I did. I was able to find that one. And the only thing I can say was, this made me dread our Chekhov episode. <laughs> <laughs> because I just... Up in Chekhov, yo. I, Chekhov. All I mean, Chekhov. I know, but I, I think I'm just thinking about sitting down and reading a bunch of Chekhov plays. Because, I mean, this script, I... I needed to look it up and just see. I mean, do either of you know anything about the production history or how it was received no, or where it was I, done? I just found out about it when you told me about it. And I don't, I don't know enough about Three Sisters, just the plot line, other than that they're trying to get to Moscow the whole time. Got that Moscow. Yeah, that that during the script when I was reading it, because it still sounds like Chekhov, it's just every once in a while they'll say, that sucks. And it's like, oh, wait, that's not a Chekhov right. thing. So, yeah, I mean, I... It so it's just, not a translation. To, or a, it's not, or I mean, and it's it's an adaptation in the way that it's like now. It's not like a, it's not just like a, his version of it, right? Or what is the difference? No, yeah, I was like, when's someone gonna start smoking crack or popping pills or something? <laughs> um, but no, nothing like that. It it it's a translation. It, it he, I think he adapted from a specific translation, though. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, because that'll be interesting when we get into Chekhov, because so much of our views of him are are based on translations and then there was the politicalization of a lot of translation oh yeah but I, just as far as like exciting reading it's like i have a hard time sitting down and reading shakespeare because it's way more fun watching than it is yeah reading, it's meant you know to be performed I mean? you know it's not meant to be read. i think that's that's exactly right Chekhov is hard to read it's hard to sit down and do same with ibsen any of those kind of realists you're just like okay but let's let's is a great it read really is. i mean really i is. yeah yeah, yeah. It, after Interestingly enough, um, there's actually a play, sorry, Scott, but there's, there's a play uh, by Tennessee Williams uh, that is his version of the seagull. And I right. uh, called the notebook of Trigorin. Uh It's, yes. it's fine. Um, but I wonder if maybe let's felt like, oh, I'm at that place in my career where now I just need to like adapt a classic, you know, uh, playwright's work. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Right. Foreign language stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, you know, when we get into like Shakespeare in future episodes and that sort of thing, like watching how people like Kurosawa, like the way Kurosawa adapts Shakespeare, 
is exquisite and he doesn't use any of the language and it right. still works brilliantly, you know so absolutely um next was um a play called the stretch which i'm not familiar with and mm. um i didn't i could not get my hands on that one um yeah. and the, but you did read the next one which was mary page marlowe right Yes. Um, so this was the play that um, I mentioned back during uh, Superior Donut, Scott, you mentioned like, oh, well, we didn't, I wanted to know more about his daughter. So Mary Page Marlowe is about like, it's a leading woman and it follows her from age 10 months to her, like right before she dies when she's 69. And I think Mary Page Marlowe spoke, I, I think it said in the front, it's very specific that she's played by two different women, uh, like an older one and a younger one. Um, but it's like, it was it was 11 scenes or 12 scenes and they are all from different points in her That's life. Cool. And it, it there there's no rhyme or reason to, like, it, it's not chronological. There's no like standard measure of time. And like, it's not like we check in with her every 10 years or something like that, or, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, but you figure out her life from the scenes that That's you're cool. watching. And there's a lot of stuff. You find out that she's been married three times. You find out um, that she had some problems with addiction and that they eventually meant she got three DUIs and you're you're seeing the scene where she's talking to her second husband. Oh my gosh, all of a sudden she has a second husband. And she's, she's looking at jail time as like an early 50s woman because she got her through DUI and she hit an old man and injured him horribly. And now she's good. She's looking at wow. five to 10 years of prison and it's just her life. And like another scene is her talking to her shrink in like the early thirties or her psychiatrist. Um, and you, there's these scenes where she has two kids in the course of her life. And there's this scene where at the end it's supposedly later on in her life. And now she says, well, yeah, I just have my girl. And, and you're like, wait, wait, what happened to the son? So it's, it's really cool. See, he's really good at the, how he unfolds information, how, you know, he plays with right. it. So cool. But there's still gaps in yeah. the end where it's like they don't come out and say exactly what happened to the son. They just kind of hint at, well, this is the problem that he was having, having and this is a point where they had both of his parents had lost contact with him. So it's like, like you never really know what's going on with anyone. You never really know their whole story. We might get little glimpses, but you know, you know anything about right. anyone. That's great. Hey, a question, CJ, since you read it, but also just as a woman, I want to ask like in 2020, where this conversation is very uh, prevalent, like how do you feel about his writing of her, especially as a, a cisgendered, seemingly uh, straight man writing yeah. a, a female character. I mean, I like, th this also goes back to Scott and I were having this discussion about how he writes women. And um, I, this was when I was right in the middle of reading this script and I was like, you've got to read Mary Page Marlowe because that's the thing. It's never presented to you as, look at this horrible woman, woman with her addiction problems. Yeah. I feel like you're just watching her life unfold in, in these tiny little bite-sized scenes mm. and i i personally really liked it and i didn't feel i mean i've read it once but i just i was reading the, the whole time thinking like <sighs> the scenes are so meaty and they're so real and and it's um they're brutal too and 
to me, I, I don't like, know. Like, it's just like, it's the way people are. And it's like, it doesn't matter that she's a right, woman or not. In say, some cases it does, like but. Let's does really well on what like the best playwrights and best writers and, and directors and people, what they. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Siege, where like, do you stylistically like, did you notice a change in in Mary Page Marlowe, like from Superior Donuts? There's like an eight year difference there in terms of uh, of time. Did like did you notice like was there any like noticeable like there's definitively for me a change from Killer Joe and Bug to August and then certainly to Superior Donuts. Did, did you feel like there was something like that? I think, I feel like with this show, it was 100% just straight up realism because I don't, I don't know about y'all and maybe it's just to me, it's also just like Killer Joe, Bug. There's some parts that it's so brutal that for me sometimes I'm thinking, am I reading surrealism a little bit? <laughs> and I, I felt like, and it, I felt like with Superior Donuts, the way that some of the scenes were written and the cadence, and sometimes I'm like, wait, is this in verse? Did this go to verse all of a sudden? Is Am I reading surrealism a little bit? What to me, there's not a hint of that in right, this play. Right. Yeah, he, he writes in like naturalistic absurdity almost, right? And then with mm -hmm. this play, it sounds like it's, you feel like it's more just slice of life. Like this is a person, we're transcending gender, we're transcending like all this, we're just talking about a person. I love that. Mm -hmm. It, yeah, it, it was just full on realism. You were watching a documentary about a person and all of the scenes were mixed up. It wasn't chronological. And there's a lot of unanswered stuff at the end. But I liked that, it, it wasn't in a bad way. So what me. comes after that? What's after Marlo? Next, uh, uh, he's got two in 2017. He had uh, Linda Vista uh, and then the minutes was the seemingly the biggest, the bigger of the, excuse me, those two, uh, the Minutes was uh, also a finalist for the Pulitzer. Uh, so the Man from Nebraska, August, uh, Osage County, and the Minutes uh, were all up for Pulitzers. August Osage was the one that, that won. Um, I, and I don't know, I don't know much about either one of them, Linda Vista or the Minutes. Yeah, I don't either. I, I'll, I'll do some more research. I guess I should have before we recorded the podcast but uh yeah i don't know much about either of them i know the minutes uh had some nominations but i don't know that it was like a huge you know play yeah. linda vista didn't set center theater do linda vista this that last year right. i think they did um i know everyone was like tripping over themselves to go see it and i again this is me not knowing anything about it but to me it's i don't know maybe it was just the poster to me it looked like a comedy yeah, like, it did. It looked almost like a weird, like updated, like dirty rotten scoundrels or something. It was, you know, just like a guy in like, a Hawaiian yes. shirt with a martini. I remember. Yeah, it was CTG or Amundsen. Yeah, it was a, a center theater group. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would love to to go and revisit them. Um, well, should we should we wrap things up? Yeah, I, 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 what I'd love to hear is I, something I'd like to do at the end of every episode is just hear kind of a ranking. Like, I want to hear what you guys think. Like, what are your top three? Now that we've read some, what are your top three plays ranked that you read or that you have read or that you have experiences with uh, for, for Let's? I want to hear those. Um, wow. Um, um, 
Okay, I'll go. I'll go first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah do it. Three to three to one. It's interesting because um, I had a I had an old theater professor one time, um, who uh, we were doing Shakespeare. He and and uh, he said he he made a comment about King Lear. He's like. Uh, King Lear is Shakespeare's greatest accomplishment. Hamlet is his best play. Right. Like, so sort of recognizing that, like, I recognize that August Osage County is, is a masterpiece. Like, and, and, you know, I get it. Um, Superior Donuts was the one that was my favorite. It was the one that got to me the most that I, I think maybe the hopefulness at the end was, was a little bit more. Um, so what would so be three, I would, two, one? I'll do three would be, uh, three would be Bug, uh, two would be August, and one would be Superior Donuts. Word. That's cool that you put Superior up top. I love that. I love that play so much. Yeah. What do you got, CJ? Yeah, yeah, you know, I think I'm just going to be completely selfish. And lit- I mean, I enjoyed reading them so much, but like, I'm I'm seriously coming at this from like, which ones would I really want to well, be We'll get to in? Dream Roll in a second. That's my next question. Yeah, but I mean, I guess that's how I've been sure, reading sure, them sure, still. Sure. Um, uh, I would say I would do three would be Bug, two would be August Osage, and one would be Mary Page Marlowe. Oh, wow. I want to read that now. That's so cool. You should. It's You'll fly through it. Yeah, I got to read it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you'll fly through it, really. It's a great read. It's a we'll great read. We'll do an read. update on the next Bailey. episode. Um, Bailey, yes. Is I would say my top three are number three is Bug. Uh, love Bug a lot. Uh, I just think that's just one of those. I'll have Bug is number three. That's great. Yeah, it's it's one of those that you know I can't put it above uh, you know other things, but it just it lives with you. You know, it sticks with you a little bit, and it's it sticks in your craw in the right way. I love that play. Uh, I'd love to be in it someday. Um, there's also actually I'd love to direct it. Um, number two uh killer joe mm. i love that play mm-hmm. so much i think i i just need to i i want to maybe maybe direct it but i think i'd really rather just go see a really great production i want somebody to tackle it better than i ever could and just make it amazing um and then number one august osage i i can't deny that 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 and uh water by the spoonful fluctuate as my favorite play it just kind of depends on how i'm feeling uh-huh. in the day but that's it's just one of those plays that i can't ever let go of it's it sits there up in my attic like jana and just keeps me going um those are my three i want to hear <laughs> your dream role what's if you had to choose one what is your dream role from a let's work go scott oh fuck you <laughs> um, <laughs> well um man it, it would it would be a few years away but I, can i give you two again yeah, give, yeah, yeah, yeah. give me three give me three i'll give you okay uh arthur and superior donuts i think yeah. i just i understand what that journey was yeah. i understand what's at um <laughs> this is don't judge me for this um <laughs> I think I'd want to play Steve in August Osage County. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a role, but, dude. I don't, it, no matter how uh, you yeah. do that person, that's a good role. Yeah. Because you, you, 
you you have to you as the actor have to like that dude and then you have to make him appear likable yeah he's got to yeah he he charms everybody and uh then he gets weird um and then um oh man uh it's tough um I don't know any any of those roles in Bug. I, I would never quite be right for any of them, but like that's the thing about all of his roles is that you can just feel the actor in him. I don't it, just that awareness of, of being able to write a juicy part, even if you're you know that. Well, in Bug, the the doctor, what's his name, comes yeah, in yeah, at the yeah. end. Because, like that's a great role. Like that's that is. It is clear intentions and, and complex, like... You'd actually uh, be solid like, for the X as well, Scott. Ooh, gosh. Ooh, boo. <laughs> he just wants to play. He just got out of prison, CJ. Boo. <laughs> He's reformed. CJ, reformed. CJ, what are your three dream roles? Uh, Mary Page, Marla. Yeah. And Violet uh, in, in a couple decades. Two? And then... Yeah, sure. And then um, I know what I would like to play is Karen, but I know deep down I'm a Barbara. So <laughs> I'd love to see your Karen though. That'd be super good. Yeah, would be great. Yeah, <laughs> you would kill either of those. You would kill all three of those parts. See, you really would. Let's do August Osage County, and it'll be a one-woman show, and it'll be actually me. kind of a weirdly cast. It's it's a weird casting, but actually, now that you say you'd want to play the role, it totally works because you're very this type, CJ. No offense, but also yeah. like there's no offense to be taken because she's amazing. Juliette Lewis plays her in the movie. Everyone always tells me she's my celebrity yeah, doppelganger. You're very similar. I take no offense. I love her. Um, okay, my three are number three would be uh, Chris in Killer Joe or, or Ansel. Uh-huh. I think they're both just roles that I could uh, I could take really far and, and do good things with. I don't want to play Killer Joe. Um, uh, number two would be Bill in uh, August Osage. Excuse me, actually, no, 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 no. That's my number one. Bill would be my number one role. Uh, I think I want to play that really badly. Um, And number, no, 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 no. I'm switching it back. Number two is Bill. Number two is Bill. Number one (laughs) in like, give me like 30 years or more, maybe even more. I want to play Charles. Charles is one of those roles that I really. Uh, Yeah, I could see you as Charles. I could too. I just see myself like being like the older, like, and the man who played him in the, in the performance I saw was just phenomenal and kind of stuck with me. So, uh, the, yeah, those are my three. I fucking love this playwright, guys. I don't know if you could tell through. Uh, uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, unless you guys have anything else to say, normally at this time we would do uh, an LA theater spotlight so that we could talk about um, the things that are going on around the LA theater scene. We are definitely trying to promote the LA theater scene uh, because, you know, sometimes a lot of people like to think that you can only do theater in New York or, you know, uh, on tour or whatever it may be. But actually, no, there is a burgeoning and beautiful theater scene happening in LA. It's Um, it's awesome. There's so many little theaters. And in this time of quarantine, I know it's a time of of stress and worry and and we don't know what's all going to happen. But I just want to have have you all all you listeners just like take some time to check out the instagrams of your 
theaters, your local theaters and, and see what they're doing. They might be doing a Zoom thing. They might be doing something exciting when they come out of quarantine that you can get on. Maybe you can donate some money if you have it. We just, I know it's a really hard time for actors. It's a really hard time for creators and people who do things in um, collaborative settings. Uh, so our spotlight this week is just on all theaters of all types. Um, we're members of the Sacred Fools Theater Company in Hollywood, who definitely needs support right now. Uh, I work for the Pasadena Playhouse, who definitely needs support right now. There's just a lot uh, going on. But go ahead, Scott. No, I was just going to say all the all the companies in town do, and and across the country. And Absolutely. We just hope that uh, you know when this is all done. Well, there's two things I hope for. A, I hope that we don't see 500 quarantine plays, yeah. but I know we will. Yeah. I hope topical. I hope we see some some crazier shit come out of it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, right now I'm like I'm drawing on my walls. I'm going nuts. But um uh but um but yeah, you know, uh, when theater returns and you know our, our souls all need it and I That's know right. everybody who's in Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is that's why we're here. That's right. This is your little bit of live theater to help you out. And, you know, it, <laughs> sorry that it's through Zoom and that it's all, you know, kind of weird, but we appreciate you listening. Um, thank you for joining us uh, for our episode on Tracy Letts. We will be back next week. Uh, or is it oh, weeks? Are we doing weeks? Uh, well, let's just say episodes. <laughs> <laughs> One at a time. It might, it might be 10 days in between. Who knows? Sure. Um, but. Uh, what's um what's all of our social media uh, stuff? What's our yeah, yes. I'm about to get into that. Good. I have a whole outro written out. I'm so prepared. You don't even know. Uh, How yeah, nice thank for you. you. For, fuck you. Thank you for joining us uh, for our <laughs> episode on Tracy Letts. We'll be back next time uh, to discuss. Are you talking, Scott? Every time you talk, I can't hear you. Are you talking? I I just was saying thank you to the people that listened to this, and um, well, I hope they heard you. We'll Thanks. Um, Thanks. Can I ask a question? Who are we talking about next time? That's Arthur right. Miller. Okay, so we'll be back next time talking about the works of Arthur, the Arthur Miller. Um, uh, we're not going to have a guest for that one, I don't think, but we're going to start having guests. Uh, moving forward, we're going to get some local theater people. Uh, and now, since we're doing Zoom, we're going to get some Broadway people in on here, some people uh, overseas, things like that. So it's going to be really exciting. Um, follow us on all of our social medias. We have a few, and they're all different. It's super confusing. So here you go. I'm about to list them. Instagram, you can follow us at theater spelled with an R-E first, underscore theater, spelled with an E-R, underscore pod. And that is our Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at the theater pod, T-H-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E pod. Or you can also email us anytime or slide into our DMs, whatever. But you can email us at theater, R-E, theater, E-R, pod at gmail.com. That's theater, theater, pod at gmail.com. If you want to get in on the conversation, suggest playwrights, suggest topics. If you want to just say, hey, I disagree with you, Bailey, because you're an idiot about that whole Native American thing, great. If you have any opinions about how pretentious Bailey was about talking about walking out of theaters during shows, great. I want to hear it. I want to debate you. Yes. Let's get in on it. Anyway, so... Um, do you guys have anything else? Is that good? Uh, we can uh, leave it as uh, leave it on an as always. Uh, why don't we uh, Why don't we outro with uh, with a, a repeat of uh, uh, the song by uh, our good friend Pam? Oh yes, so that, let me. Batch. 
<laughs> Later. Wow, guys. And a final big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson, uh, an all-around badass and master composer for writing our theme song. We now leave you with Pamela Quinn Eberhardt's uh, sort of dedication, uh, her special song uh, dedicated to August Osage County. Thanks so much. Join us next time on Theater Theater. Are broken across the board and made